We are in uh, the Gospel of John. As I say, welcome uh, to all of you. Hopefully uh, you were warmly greeted during the greeting time or as you came in because it's cold outside, so a warm greeting is a good thing on a cold day. A warm greeting is a good thing any day, isn't it? And you know, uh, I'll just mention this, that we don't have a special greeters ministry that you can sign up for. If you've been coming around here and you've received love, then just give it back to someone that you don't know. It's that simple. Because you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And sometimes people are coming here uh, and this church that meets in the school is their last, the, the last stop on the train to destruction. And uh, they're looking for answers and looking for help. And, and they come in here just to see if all these people that talk about God uh, really mean what they say. And so I pray that, that uh, you just never know who it is you're speaking to and what they're going through when they come in. So um, a smile, a hug, a handshake uh, can mean all the difference, can it? Amen. Amen. So uh, let's get Bibles into people's hands, then we'll look at the announcements. If you didn't bring a Bible, then uh, put your hand up nice and high for those of you that have Bibles with you. John chapter 10 is where we left off last week during communion, and we'll, we'll run through the end of John 10 and hopefully uh, get into uh, John 11, the uh, story only recorded by John, none of the other gospel writers, the story of Lazarus and raising Lazarus from the dead. With that, let's pray, and we'll open God's Word together. Father, we're reminded, Lord, just by your mercies, that we're called to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And Lord, this morning we have uh, sacrificed some time, maybe time that we would sleep in, time we could be doing something else, to come hungry, to come knowing, Lord, that truth is here, found in your word. And Lord, it's no sacrifice because we really receive way more. Lord, your hungry people are here. Your hurting people are here. uh, Your joyful people are here. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to all of us this morning. That you would feed us deeply in our souls, Lord. And that we would be being transformed continually as our minds are continually renewed by your word. We receive whatever you have for us this morning, however difficult or however hopeful, Lord, that, um, that you would make us and that we would be complete in you, mature, growing. Father, have your way in us, have your way with us this morning. Uh, open our eyes so that we can see wondrous things from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Okay, we're in John chapter 10. And if you've been coming here for a while, I I don't think, uh, I think repetition is an important part of learning. And I think to repeat the purposes for John's writing is a good thing. Uh, John has a goal in mind for all the, uh, the scriptures, all the things that he's written. There's so many things that Jesus did. That, that John could have recorded, that all the gospel writers could have recorded, but it, you, you couldn't, there wouldn't be enough books to contain all of the things if every event was recorded. So John records seven specific miracles along with seven I am statements. We saw a lot of those in, in chapter 10. I am the door, I am the good shepherd, uh, I am the bread of life, and, and so on. The I am statements, there are more to come. Uh, seven miracles, seven I am statements, and all of these things met for uh, by John, and the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. And that is so that you folks and we here 
in, in 2014 might believe and have all the benefits that come from believing. Because what Jesus did and who he is and who God is all are very, very believable. They are true. And all these things recorded so that those of you that have questions and so that those of us that wonder could read these things over and over and believe. And there's this contrast that we've been seeing. There's, there's those that like the blind man who sees and there are those that think that they see uh, and yet it, it stays obscured to them. They don't believe. And so the question is, which one will you be? Will you be the skeptic who continues to poke holes and find faults? Who continues to misinterpret or misunderstand uh, God based on some of uh, some ba- past background that you have or something you've been taught when you were younger? Or will you be like the blind man who sees and who accepts and who believes? This is what John wants for us. This is what he wants for me and for you. And for those of us that do believe, it's just a further confirmation that Jesus really is. He really is either a, a liar or a lunatic or he's the Lord. Because the claims he's making and the one we ended with there in John chapter 10 uh, are, are astounding. He end, we ended last week at verse 30 where Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Now, they're obviously not one person in form. They're, they're two different persons, God the Father and God the Son. But yet, when it comes to their thoughts, when it comes to their activities, when it comes to their words, when it comes to their nature, they are one. They do the same thing. They say the same thing. They have the same shared power. They're one. And in case you think, well, Jesus really isn't saying he's God, look at verse 31. The Jews, those that were listening to him, those that were the religious leaders, uh, the popes and archbishops, you could say, of their day, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these do you, works do you stone me? So he, he'd done all, he'd, he'd healed uh, blind eyes. He'd healed a, uh, the, the nobleman's son from, from a distance. He turned water into wine. He multiplied bread. He walked on water. All of these miracles that he did. And he says, now which one of those are you stoning me for? Why are you doing this? He's challenging them. These, these questions are meant for them to ask themselves. And I love God asks, Jesus asks a lot of questions. And those of you that know me know that, that I often say one of the most powerful things you can do in communication with each other and with parents, with children, spouses, with each other is ask questions. Questions. Of, we spend too much time talking and saying and too little time asking questions. And the questions are meant to be penetrating. You know, God says to Adam in the garden, where, where are you, Adam? God knew exactly where he was, but Adam needed to think about where he was. And right here, he says, now, which of these works are you stoning me for? And they'd have to think about, hmm, now, why, why are we stoning him? What is the problem? Well, it's not that he did good works. Look at verse 33. And by the way, stoning was a, a punishment, was a it was corporal punishment uh, for them. Uh, the Jews answered him, verse 33, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. That's why they were going to stone him. That's why they were going to pronounce final judgment on him. Because even if we don't understand it, even if some claim that he never said it, they obviously understood what he said. He claim to be who god to them it was no question and that to them because 
they didn't get it because they weren't adding it up because they weren't interpreting the facts right. They didn't get it. And I like this. They say, you being a man, and he was, make yourself God. And that's where they were wrong. He was both. And that's where people get confused. Well, how can he be both man and God? I don't know. I don't get it. It's beyond me, but it's true. And there's a lot of people that make themselves to be something they're not, aren't they? I mean, we, we see that. People embellish. You know, that's, Facebook is great at, for that. You, know, you can get on Facebook. You can make yourself anything you want to be. Other people, they have no way to tell. You can say anything you want about yourself. And, and we are famous for embellishing and dramatizing and name dropping and making ourselves to be something we're not and never were. Matter of fact, the older I get, the better I used to be. But Jesus is not guilty of that. Jesus has no pride issues to deal with. He has no insecurity uh, that he's trying to handle uh, by making himself to be something he's not. He's simply stating the truth about who he is. And so you can't say Jesus has never claimed to be God. You have to accept that or reject that, but you can't say he never said it. Jesus claims clearly to be God. They say you make yourself God. Now there's a, a, this next, the way he answers that question is, is a very interesting and, and a little bit difficult to understand. I think you'll get it once we go through it. Jesus answered them this claim that he made himself to be God. And he said, is it not written in, he says, your law, I said, you are gods. Isn't that written in your law? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? So he presents this quick answer, very well thought out, amazing. Oh, if, if you could answer, if I could answer challenges like Jesus, I mean, he is awesome at answering. Uh, he knows the scriptures inside and out, and he refers back to Psalm 82. You can look that up later, specifically verse 6. And in Psalm 82, uh, it's, it's about worldly, earthly judges, that there are people that are uh, judges that, that sit in the place of God, so to speak. They've been given God's word, and they have authority and sovereignty to make decisions and, and make hearings on, on issues to do with people. They are his representatives. Now, the word that's used there is this word in Hebrew, Elohim. And it can be translated either gods or judges. And there's a connection there because those that God sets up on the earth to judge are his representatives. They're little gods. They, they represent him with his authority. And, and the problem in Psalm 82 is that they were misrepresenting him. And so God is going to say to them, hey, you judges, those of you in places of authority, recognize that you are not the final authority. So he says, now, if the scripture calls them Elohim or gods, and, and then notice what he says to them. Look at his view of scripture. He says, and the scripture cannot be broken. That's really important. That's really valuable. The grass fades and the grass withers the flowers fade but the word of god endures forever and we always see jesus coming back where not to well you know i kind of feel this way or i i you know it, i was watching oprah the other day and here's what she said uh dr phil said you know i pick on those two a lot but um but the scripture he says can't be broken it can't be loosed it's it's trustworthy and so we're in a family in your own life, to have a, with a husband and a wife, to have a foundation you can go back to if you're trying to make a decision. 
if you're trying to look for truth, if you're trying to seek for answers, you can go back together to God's Word together. And, and that's so valuable for a family, isn't it? To say, I don't, you know, here's my opinion, here's, you, here's your impression, but what does God's Word say? Do you do that as a family? Do you do that individually? Jesus always coming back when he's under attack from Satan in the wilderness. He quotes Deuteronomy more than once. He goes back in his mind. And we learn to counsel ourselves from Scripture. To, to, to know these verses and to, to use them in our own lives. To, to counsel ourselves, to, to find truth in our daily uh, activities. And so as Jesus is, is kind of defending his, his point here, he reminds them, if the Bible says it, you can't argue with it. And there's so many things that are questionable issues in our day that society is questioning. What does the Bible say about um, marriage? What does the Bible say about sexuality issues? What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about that? Or, or really what happens is people question you. What do you think about this? You ever had that happen? You get into a discussion or, or an argument uh, with somebody and they want to, well, what do you think about that? What do you think about this? What do you think about marriage? And I say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just little Steve Fedden who lives in Fluvanna County. It doesn't really matter what I think. Because who, who am I to think anything about these things? I didn't decide marriage was going to be the way the world would work. The question is, here's what I'll tell you. Here's what God's Word says about that thing. So be careful. Always take it because you have no authority. But God's Word cannot be broken. So, they say it, so what the advantage they had, they were called little gods because the Word of God had come to them and then they would use that to make judgments. And if they were allowed to be called gods... Then he says, then how do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. If they could have that divine title, so Jesus is saying, why is it wrong for me to have the divine title? And then he goes on to say, verse 37, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe. You see the repetition, believe, believe. And believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Hey, the proof is always in the pudding. Now, I've been corrected on that. The, the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. Is that how it goes? I think that's the way it goes. But we always say the proof is in the pudding. You know, I, did, did any of you catch on the news that there's this uh, Burger King rex, restaurant? I think it's in Pittsburgh that it was an old Burger King and it was bought out by a new restaurant, but they left the name up there so everybody's been going to it thinking it's a Burger King and like surprised that, that, that none of the things there are like you know, Burger King things. Like the French fries are served in a Dixie cup and I mean, it's a, it's a crazy thing. So people go in because they see externally it looks like a Burger King. It's got the sign Burger King on top of it and the menu looks like Burger King and all those things. But when you go in, your experience is that the food doesn't bear out the truth and people say wait a second this is not burger king well we're talking about not the burger king but the world king the universal king the lord of lords the king of kings jesus himself it's one thing to say to have the sign up that says um, i am god i'm the king it's another thing to do the works and to have that support and background to back up and always fruit never lies folks Fruit never lies. You can say anything you want on Facebook. But I'm really bashing Facebook today, aren't I? I always tell people, look, you know, I, I'm, 
A lot of you in here use Facebook for good things. You share scriptures, but a lot of you use it for bad things. You share your opinions and you your, your rant and rave on people. And I think that sometimes you're better off putting your face in the book. That's a lot better. Better time, better spent. But again, I'm not bashing Facebook. I, it can be used. For, like, it, it's, these things are tools. They can be used for good or for bad, right? So let me just, that's a little caveat, little uh, side note here. But the point is, fruit never lies. The fruit in your life, the fruit in Jesus' life doesn't lie. And so he's saying, look, let me just petition you all in here. God calls me and you to be ambassadors, pleading with people that they'd be reconciled to God. And so in some ways, it's a, we have all the same information, right? We have, we have these, these, all the information is the same. Ken Ham has the same information as Bill Nye. They're the same, it's how you interpret it. Always, it's always a matter when, when, you know, when, when a lawyer, when two lawyers face off in the courtroom, they have the same evidence. The question is, how do we interpret that evidence? One is going to try to get you to interpret it one way. Another, the other lawyer is going to try to get you to interpret it the other way. That one wants a guilty uh, judgment, the other wants an innocent judgment. And they're going to try to influence the way you look at that and interpret that information, that, those facts. And the facts are that these things happened. And the plausible, pliable inter- interpretation of these things is look at the works and believe. So I don't know what keeps you from believing, but Jesus says you can believe. And look what happens. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. So the result of this was they wanted to kill him yet again. This keeps happening, doesn't it? And I, and I find that's true uh, even today. There are those that want to see Jesus. They think that they can get rid of him. You can't. You have to deal with him. You either have to accept him or reject him in your life. There's no middle ground with Jesus. Either accept or reject. And, and verse 40, he went away again. So he, he slips out of their hands. He goes away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. So he, he goes away from Jerusalem. He'd been there for, the, the, for Hanukkah. And that's when all this was taking place. It's the wintertime. And he leaves there and he goes to a, a place kind of on the other side of the Jordan River, the east side of the Jordan River. It's safe there for a time. And it's where he was baptized. And it's interesting, um, my daughter's been playing uh, indoor soccer up in Charlottesville, and their games are there at the old ACAC building near Four Seasons. And that happens to be right across from ACAC was where I was working uh, at ACAC when I got saved. And I got saved in the parking lot right across the street. And so it's been kind of cool. I haven't been back there in a long time. And as we're driving into ACAC, I just grabbed Madeline. I said, you see that parking lot right over there? That's where I got saved. And sometimes it's real helpful to go back and think about where you were and what was going what, what were the things that led up to you giving your life to the Lord in that first time? And here's Jesus thinking back to his and, and revisiting his baptism, the, the words that God spoke to him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And there he stayed for a while. Verse 41, then many came to him and said, John performed no sign. But all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. So were there those that were trying to kill him? Absolutely. But were there also those that believed? You bet. You bet. And look what they remembered about John. John was a prophet. But what, what was missing from his ministry? The prophets were known for miracles. 
Elisha, Elijah, and so on. Miracle working men. Did John do any miracles? No. What are they? Now, John's already been beheaded at this point. He was killed in prison, and so he's not around personally, but people remember his ministry. What do they remember? Oh, do you remember the miracles John did? Remember, wow, anyway, he was awesome. It was an experience. I always felt so lifted up when I was with him. That's not what they remember. They remember that he pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The most powerful ministry is not the miracles you perform, but the words that you say. And sometimes the things that you've said to people, the things that relate to God, the things that point people to Jesus, they'll remember them. They'll come back. And and what John said about Jesus is what stayed with people. So, we good there? We together still? We awake still? All right. We've got a little bit of time. We'll we'll get into John chapter 11. Now, Jesus is there where he was baptized, uh, spending some time. His disciples are with him. And then we begin with John chapter 11. And before I start, just by way of introduction, uh, I wonder if any of you have ever wrestled with having expectations. No. (laughs) But your groan gives you away. Oh, yeah. Anybody ever been let down? by somebody else oh man happens all the time we tend to have high expectations for other people the problem is we have low expectations for ourselves often but we have high expectations of people high expectations of one another high expectations of children high expectations of spouses we have we are people of expectations and then oftentimes those expectations don't get met and we get disappointed with people right you think that they, you know, I, I've been to, I've heard what church is supposed to be, and man, I went to church, and it's just, and this thing happened, or someone gossiped, and well, I had expectations that I would go to church and all the perfect people would be there. Well, I always tell people, if, if you think church is perfect, then don't go there, because you'll mess it up. But we're not perfect people. We're people that we're, we hopefully we've learned by this time that we're not perfect. And so don't come in here with expectations that all of a sudden you're the only one who's not perfect and all of us have to be perfect and treat you perfectly every day. We're all human. We all come in here having had a fight on the way here in the car this morning, the dog peed on the floor and everything just, you know, the washer broke yesterday and, and stuff happens and we get short-tempered and we, we're, we're sleep-deprived and all these things go on and all that taints our relationships. So be gracious to people because expectations will lead us to disappointment. But now here's the next thing. We often have expectations of God, don't we? Anybody here feel like they have been uh, disappointed by God? God didn't do what we expected him to do. We thought for sure this is how God would do it. We thought for sure this is how it would go. But yet it didn't work out how we expected. And then we wonder, well, does God really love me? Does God really care? Does he really have power? And then we begin to question. It really starts to challenge our faith, doesn't it? Well, John chapter 11 is for you. Is for you. Now, a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. So we're introduced to a certain man, a specific man. Oftentimes we see the blind man who Jesus healed. We don't know his name. He was a, a man that uh, sort of pat crossed into Jesus' path, crossed out of Jesus' path uh, as Jesus continues in his ministry. He was a man, like so many other, the man sitting by the pool of Bethesda, there for 38 years. Jesus sees him, they connect. He says, rise, walk, take up your bed and walk. 
this guy is different. He's a certain man, and we know his name. His name is Lazarus. God is my help. That's what his name means. And he's from this town of Bethany. We'll talk about the meaning of that in chapter 12. But he's from Bethany, about two miles from the, uh, the temple there in Jerusalem. And it's the town of, of this family, Mary and her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus. We know these people. We've seen him. Jesus spends time with them. When he, remember, Jesus had no house of his own. He, had no, he was basically poor. Uh, he, he had no place to lay his head. No, no, didn't have large estates and things like that. So he was dependent on people's uh, assistance of him. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, their home, they'd opened to him. And he'd frequented their home. He, there's Martha cooking away in the kitchen and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha says, hey, Jesus, tell my sister to help out around here. And Jesus says, hey, you know, she's chosen the better part. She's sitting at my feet. And, and so we see there's this relationship, there's a friendship different with Jesus than, than with others. And John reminds us that this is the Mary, verse 2, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. We'll get to that in chapter 12. But he's just telling us there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. And, and this is, you know, there's Mary Magdalene, there's Mary the mother of Jesus, and then there's Mary the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And, and so he's just trying to let us know it's really important, listen, it's really important that we know who he's talking about here, and you'll see why. Because it's Mary's uh, brother and Martha's brother, Lazarus, who was sick. And you all know how that feels. You have a relative, a child who's sick. And, and is there any feeling of helplessness like that? Is there any feeling of powerlessness like having a, a relative or a spouse or a child who's got some, uh, an illness, a sickness, uh, cancer. I mean, we, we, this community wrestled with um, and prayed with and hoped for Alyssa when she was sick with cancer. And we've been through that stuff. And we know the feeling. And it's, we're meant to see that here. This is what Mary and Martha were feeling. Lazarus is sick. All they can do is pray and wait and, and comfort and and. You know, feed him if, he's, if, if he can eat anything or be there to rub his head or rub his feet or something. Get a blanket if he needs it. Make him some tea. Whatever it is, that's what they can do. But they're powerless to fix it. You ever feel that way? Am I speaking to, to the choir here? I mean, we, we know this feeling. Verse 3 says, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Because of their power, hey, they got an ace in the hole. I mean, we are personal friends with Jesus. And we know what Jesus can do. Now, Jesus can do it from a distance. He's, he's done that. He's healed from a distance. He's open. I mean, he's... And look what they say to him. They send to him. So they send a messenger to Jesus. He's about 20 miles away over across the Jordan River. They send a messenger to him. And this is what the messenger says. Lord, behold... He whom you love is sick. He doesn't say he whom we love is sick, although that's true. He doesn't say, Lord, the one, you, uh, the one who loves you is sick. They, it's almost like they got to remind, like, just in case Jesus has forgotten that, this is, that, he, that he loves Lazarus. Jesus, the one you love is sick. 
And they didn't say, they didn't call by name, as if there's this, an extra special relationship between Lazarus and Jesus. And all they have to say is, the one you love is sick. And what's the expectation that comes? What, what do you think, read behind the lines, uh, between the lines, what's the expectation of Mary and Martha? I mean, what happens when someone you love is sick? You, you get a call, you, you, someone's in the hospital. Whew, right away, you're there. Boom. You don't have to say another word. I'm there. And that's the expectation that Jesus would hear this and he'd buy the plane ticket, you know, rent the donkey and, and leave that day and he'd be on his way to make things better. We've all, done, we've all called in on favors, haven't we? We've all called in on relationships. You got a friend who's a lawyer, you got a friend who's a doctor, you know, and, and you need something emergency and you happen to have their phone, home phone number. So, you, oh man, normally the normal person doesn't get to do that. But because you're friends, because you have a relationship that's deeper than just working, you get the home phone and you get to make the call. There's some of you that have my home phone number. And so, because we're friends, sometimes you have a need and you can call me at home because it's a friendship. And, that, and that's, that's the way friendships work. Lord, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard, uh, when Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus gets the message, and he says to the messenger, now you go tell Mary and Martha and Lazarus this, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So the messenger, it probably takes, so here's the way it plays out. By the time Jesus gets there, we'll see all this play out timing-wise in a few minutes, but by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus will have been dead and buried four days. So it takes a day if the, if the, for the 20 miles, if the messenger hurries, it's a day from Bethany on to, to where Jesus is in Bethabara. And then he tells Jesus the message, then he goes right back. Well, what the messenger doesn't know is that while he was on his way, Lazarus died. And so he gets back to Mary and Martha, and he sees the funeral taking place. They buried on the same day. It wasn't a long, drawn-out process. This is the Middle East, and things are hot, and decomposition starts early, and so they bury right away. And so the messenger shows back up in Bethany and says, Hey, good news. Jesus says this sickness is not unto death. What happened? And no doubt Mary and Martha are like, because it took a day. I mean, you think that the messenger, that Jesus and the disciples would have come with the messenger when he gets back. But he doesn't show up. And the next day he doesn't show up. And now there would be the question, we thought he loved us. Why, where is he? Why didn't he come? He could have said it from where he was and healed Lazarus. But none of that happens. But interesting what he does say. The sickness is not unto death. It's not leading to or for the purpose of or, or, or in the direction of death. Of course, Lazarus is going to die, right? We know that. We've read the story. Lazarus is going to die, but he'll be raised again. And some people say that sickness is never of the Lord. That if you're sick, it's, God's, it's, God, you know, it's lack of faith on your part, or that somehow God's cursing you. And, but that sickness is not something that God uses. Well, this passage would beg to differ. He says this sickness that, that Jesus certainly could have intervened in way earlier it's for the glory of god now we want god to bring glory in our lives through healing through life the apostle paul said 
Christ would be magnified in his body, whether by life or by death. We say, hey, I present my body a living sacrifice. But we know how we want that to work out. The question is, there's a lot of people say, well, I'll, I'll live for you, Lord. But sometimes the question is, are you willing to die for him? I was sitting with Bobby and Susan. And Susan has the brain tumor. And coming to, to terms with, with this whole thing in their lives. And it's like we're, we're willing to do the, the magnificent thing for the Lord. And we want to do the thing that's popular, the thing that's a blessing, all those things. But, but sometimes God says, I have a special task a special need and a, and a need. What did God need from Lazarus? Lazarus's part was to die so that God be, could be glorified in his life. And sometimes we, we don't want that. We don't want the road of suffering. We don't want the road of difficulty. But sometimes that's when God is most glorified. To see how Christians get on with life through suffering. And the world looks and goes, man, I don't know how you guys do that. There's a power, there's a strength from God. And, and, and Lazarus is going to be, this is going to be the most miraculous. This is the middle of the gospel. This is halfway through gospel of John. And this is the most phenomenal miracle that he performs, raising the dead after four days. And we'll see when we get there next week. Mary, when, when Jesus comes, I think it's Martha that says, Mary or Martha, one of them says, you know, uh, Martha says, Lord, you know, you can't open the tomb. He stinketh. That's great King James. Stuff. I mean, this is an incredible, and it just proves that Jesus Christ has power to give life. If, listen, we read Genesis. God forms Adam from the dust of the earth. He breathes life into his nostrils, and, and Adam became a living being. If he can do that, then resurrection is no problem at all. I mean, if he can give life initially, then resurrection is no problem. This is why. This sickness is not a death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I wonder what God is wanting to do in your life. In that circumstance you're in right now, through the job loss. We think God is going to be glorified when I get a job. How is God glorified through job loss? How is God glorified through um, difficult circumstances in your life? You know, we, we love to quote the verse in Romans. That God works all things together for good for those that love him. We like it to stop there. Oh, yeah, but, but how's God work? I don't see how God is working this together for good. Doesn't seem good to me. Well, the last part of that verse says, for those who are the called according to his purposes. And there comes a time in your life where you decide that, you know, maybe you've making, been making yourself to be God and that, that you want to organize all the circumstances in your life. There comes a time when you lay it down and you say, Lord, I give you my life. I trust you with it. Use me however you want me. Ooh, that kind of makes you cringe just to say that. But remember, and it doesn't, and doesn't seem this way sometimes, that absolutely, this is the story of Lazarus, the one whom you love. Now look what happens. We'll read just a little bit farther and we'll be through. The one whom you love is sick. The sickness is down to death, but the, the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Again, here's John emphasizing it, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I mean, he loved these people. And it says, so, like, since he loved them, 
he rented the plane, you know, rented the, the, the car, drove there. No, that's not what it says. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, wait, hold the boat here. Hold the phone. This is radical. Because he loved them, he stayed. God's timing is everything. He stayed there two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And we'll stop with this verse, but I want to uh, don't get too antsy in your seat. Because this is what we struggle with, right? There's expectation. Lazarus is going to be healed. Lazarus is going to, you know, Jesus is going to show up. He's going to ride in on his white horse. He's been riding all night so he could get here right away. And then there's these expectations even in here. Sometimes I let you down. Because you expect that I'm the pastor and that I should have been there for you and your family. Believe me, there's a lot of you in here. But and here's what I find. Here's, here's what I find consistently. And I hope you, you hear me. This is not a complaint. But this is just a reality. There's one of me, there's 300 some of you, and your friends and relatives. And when you're sick, and, and I understand why, when, when, someone in your, when there's a crisis in your family, that, that is, your world gets real small real fast. Like, this is all that matters right now. And everything, it's like there's, there's anger, there's frustration, there's emotion. And, and then, and that gets, it, it gets put out externally. You know, it gets externalized. And so sometimes I'm the recipient of that, and that's okay. I don't mind. But I'm one man. And, and I'll tell you what happens is then sometimes my family is sick. And I don't get 300 people on my doorstep. And I'm glad of that. I don't get 300 pots of soup and stew when my family is sick. So recognize that I can't always be there for you in your time of need. And you can't always be there and won't always be there for me in my time of need. But I hope that you have relationships that are such that your friendships, that there are people that will be there for you. If you've neglected relationships in the body of Christ, don't be surprised when that time comes and you're alone that no one's there because you haven't planted any seeds of relationship but there are these expectations they had them for jesus and and he doesn't show up and he waits for two more days and it's because he loved them listen sometimes god wants to do something deeper than just relieve you from your circumstance how many of you have heard when it comes to parents and children that the worst thing you can do for your kids is make their lives too easy and there's sometimes where God wants to do a deeper work, and he's going to do a deeper work in Mary and Martha and in Lazarus, and he's going to do a deeper work in the people that are watching. He, he's going to do something that they didn't expect. But it, it involved Lazarus having to die so that new life could come. So I don't know what it is you're waiting for God to do in your life. What it is you're going, oh, God is not doing it. I'm getting impatient. I'm tired of waiting. Uh, you are not alone. And it does not mean that God does not love you. It may be the very thing you're going through, you're going through because he loves you. And because he wants you to have a, a deeper walk, not an easier life. Not a lighter burden, but a stronger back. Is that possible? You know, that's how maturity happens, right? I know this is tough stuff because these are, hard, these are the hard realities of we are pilgrims and sojourners on the face of this earth. And just because God loves us, and he does, doesn't mean he's always going to shield us from suffering, shield us from difficulty, shield us from challenges. But he does promise us this, 
whatever it is you're going through, if you're looking for his purposes, he will glorify himself in the midst of it. True, isn't it? So if I could invite Phil and the praise team to come back up. We'll pick up next week in verse 8 as Jesus heads to Judea to meet uh, Martha and Mary. You know, as we close out, just some days, uh, if you could sit where I sit and see what I see, some days there's like real excitement in the room, you know, uh, and some days there's a real heaviness. And today, even before I sat down to preach, there was a heaviness in the room. I don't know why that is. Uh, I think even during the music, there was a heaviness in the room. So as we stand and have a closing song, I want to invite any of you that have come in with a heavy heart uh, just to come down front for prayer. And uh, those of you that here that are prayer warriors that, that uh, love the ministry of intercession, I want you to come forward. And um, I don't know why, what that heaviness is all about. But God promises the, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So come forward for prayer uh, and let's stand and we'll praise the Lord.